We are talking about the Trinity, and we are going to be discussing this out of the book of Revelation tonight, and I have a lot to go through. I have a, I have a lot of scriptures that we're going to be going through. This is, um, this is just a unique way for me to teach, especially tonight. We're going to be so much in the Bible. I want you to have your Bibles out. Get, your, get, get something to take notes on. I Probably what I'm going to cover will be very quick. And I, I, I intend to make all of these notes that I've been making about the Trinity and put them in a little booklet and make them available to you um, so that you can study this and, and have the details of it as I have them. But tonight, I don't have that booklet for you. So um, I want you to just stay with me and go through these scriptures with me. And it's very important that you go through it. You know, the Bible says line upon line and precept upon precept. And so when we look at the scriptures in their context, it is undeniable that there's a trinity. And as I've said before, why do people say a trinity? Why just three? Why not six, nine, 20, 50, 100 um, of, of the beings of the Godhead? Because there's only three personalities that are attributed with the attributes of deity. And that is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. There's no other personality in the Bible that has that attributed to them but these three. And we know that these three are one because we know that God is one. I believe adamantly, with, just with all of my heart, that there is a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, eternally existing in these three persons, but always one. In the book of Revelation, John is brought up into heaven, and he sees one throne. That just means there's not three gods, there's one God, there's one throne, one Lord, and so this is what John sees in heaven, but three persons. I could never explain to you the mystery of the three being one, because that's, he's bigger than me. He's, just, he, he's a mystery to everything he's created, because he's the uncreated. How does the created explain the uncreated? It's impossible. We can't even explain our own creation, you know, it's just God did that. But there is a fingerprint of God in everything that he's made. And you're a fingerprint of God. You're body, soul, and spirit. You are a trinity. And yet you're one. And if you were to take any part of that substance from you, you would cease to exist as you are. So if you removed your soul and you left with body and spirit, you would cease to exist as you are. Your constitution demands those three elements to make you what you are. And so that's a fingerprint. It's his image. And so God is a trinity. And every part of that trinity is equal in every aspect. Now, in moving into this tonight, what I want to talk about is, is Jesus God? I want to talk about that and look at these things. And I want to begin by asking the question, which, you know, I think the answer is, is, is right there. But according to Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God, and I would ask you, who does that refer to? And, and, and the answer would be, is Genesis 1.1 a reference to the one and only God? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that, in that question, who does that refer to? Everybody that I've ever talked to, whether they're a Trinitarian or whether they're a oneness, or whether there's some other weird belief that's out there, um, they would confess that that being in Genesis 1-1 is 
the sovereign God. He is the eternal God who created all things. That, so that would be what we would all agree upon, that that one is God. So what we want to do tonight is to establish who is that one God who created? Who is he? And, um, and so this is the point of it. In Revelation chapter 4, I'm, I'm just going to read this. We're going to go into all of it. You can have your Bible there in Revelation and look at this. In Revelation 4, 8, I would ask, who does this refer to? And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And I would say, who does that refer to? Who is this? And if we would say, who is the holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, speaking of sovereign strength and power, we would have to confess this is God. I mean, we would have to say in simplicity, it's God. In Revelation 15, 3 through 4, And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Who is that? Who is Lord God Almighty? Well, we would have to say he's God. He's the Lord God Almighty. He's God. He's one of a kind. If he's almighty, then that means there's not another mighty beyond him. He's almighty. If, if Jesus is called almighty, then he must have all power. He must have all might. That means that he can't have a power that's almighty. And the Father has a greater power because almighty is almighty. You're just almighty, all powerful. And so who is that? We would have to say that is God. In Revelation 15, 3 through 4, Just and true are his ways, thou king of saints, who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you only are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments are made manifest. And so these three scriptures, I bring out three questions. Who does this refer to? Who does Genesis 1, 1 refer to? Who does Revelation 4, 8 refer to? Who does Revelation 15, 3 through 4 refer to? And the answer would have to be in simplicity, God. They refer to God, the Almighty God. There is no other. That's the one God. And, um, and so when we study tonight, I want to spend most of our time in the book of Revelation. We're going to be in the book of Revelation for several weeks as we, as we explain to the best of our ability, the Trinity, as God has revealed himself in his word. But I want to go into the book of Revelation because Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 1, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the book of Revelations. It's not the book of Revelations. It's the book of Revelation. It's one revelation of one person, Jesus Christ, and undeniably, as you go through the book of Revelation, it will be impossible for anyone to conclude that Jesus is any other thing other than God. So Revelation reveals the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation also reveals his place in the Godhead. 
that there is a Father, there is a Son, and there is a Holy Ghost. In the book of Revelation, you find one that sits on the throne, you find one in the midst of the throne who is the Lamb, who is Jesus, who is God, and you also find one who are the seven spirits of God, which is the Holy Ghost. So you find the three persons of the Godhead in the book of Revelation, and they're separate, and they are distinct, and that's what I would want you to see. I would want you to understand that. I have a little video presentation. I, I want to give you this. It just kind of shows, it's just scriptures that show God as God expresses himself in the Old and also in Christ in the New Testament. I just want to run through this. It's about a minute long. If you'll dim the lights and show that for me. I want us to pick up right there in your Bibles. Um, let me get the lights back. Isaiah 48. And I want, I want to bring out to you, if you will notice in, in the passages in Isaiah, one of them that was up there, God said, before me there was no God, and there will be no God after me ever formed. You know, that cuts right into Jehovah Witnesses because they believe Jesus is a created God. You know, they believe that Jesus was created by God and he was created to be, quote, a God. But God said, there will never be another one after me. Now, in Isaiah 48, we're going to compare Isaiah 48 with Revelation chapter 1. So get both of those passages together. And I want you to see something that's very important. Is Jesus God? And is he unique? And is he part of a Godhead? And so we find in Isaiah 48, he says, listen to me, O Jacob, Israel, whom I have called... I am he, I am the first and the last. And that's God's declaration of himself. I am the first, I am the last. That's a very important phrase because God does not want us to miss who he is and all that he is. And so when he says that, I am the first and also in the last, I want you to go to Revelation chapter one and I want you to see in verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and heard behind me a great voice, as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega. And I want you to remember this. This is a definition. It's a declaration of Jesus pronouncing himself. All right? So Jesus is giving you his name, and he's giving you his title. This is, this is so fundamental that you get this and remember this all the way through the book of Revelation to know the revelation of Jesus. He said, I'm Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. And he gives those churches that they are to be sent to. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. If God declared in Isaiah 48, 12, that I am, this is God, I am the first and the last, then who is this in verse 17 of Revelation chapter 1 saying the same thing? Fear not, I am the first and the last. He tells us, verse 18, I'm him that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, 
and have the keys of hell and of death. Write these things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. And so Jesus, or this, this person in, in Revelation 1.18, is declaring himself. And he says, I am the first and the last. I am the one that was dead, and now I live. And I live forevermore. Well, we know that Jesus died, and we know that he rose again from the dead. This declaration of himself is absolutely important. Because verse 8 of Revelation chapter 1, I want you to get this, because we're going to come back to it. Verse 8, I am Alpha and Omega. Who is Alpha and Omega? Alpha and Omega is the first and the last. Alpha and Omega is the one that was dead and is alive forevermore. Alpha and Omega is the beginning and he is the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, which is to come, the Almighty. Alpha and Omega is the Almighty. And so he goes on in verse 11, I am Alpha and Omega. The Alpha and the Omega is the first and the last. The Alpha and the Omega has charge over his church because he sends out this warning to the churches and messages. And so we know that the Alpha and Omega in verse 18 is the one that, that was dead, but now he lives. This is very important, very important. Now, I want to come back to this in Isaiah 44. I want you to read this with me. He says in Isaiah 44, this is God declaring something of himself that is extremely important. In Isaiah 44, verse 24, he says, Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord that makes all things, and stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreads abroad the earth by myself. So God says very clearly through the prophet Isaiah, that as it, as it regards creation, and this is important, all we're going to get to tonight is creation, the creator. Genesis 1-1, who is that? And what I want you to understand is God declares through Isaiah that I created everything alone and by myself. That means nobody helped me. Nobody took part in this. I did not create a being who then helped me create. I created everything alone, and I created everything by myself. Therefore, in Genesis chapter 1, when God says, let us make man in our image, who is he talking to? Well, he's still dealing with creation, and he's not talking to anybody else because he did it all by himself, so he's talking within the three persons of the Godhead. Let us make man in our image. God says it very directly and very emphatically that he did this alone and by himself. Back in Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, I'm going to give some characteristics. And if you can write fast, you can write these things down. But what I want you to see in verses 8 through 11 is that the one who created all things is several things. Number one, he's holy, he's almighty, he is the one which was and is and is to come. He lives forever and ever. 
He is worthy to receive glory, honor, and power. All right? So just notice those things about the Creator. Chapter 4, Revelation, verse 8. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him. They were full of eyes within. They rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Well, we already know, according to Revelation 1, 8, and the rest of the scriptures in Revelation 1 that we read, that Jesus is Almighty. He's the one that was dead and is alive evermore. So we know Jesus is Almighty, and there can't be two Almighties. There can't be another Almighty. So Jesus is Almighty. He must be God, and God is one, for we know the Father's Almighty, and we certainly know the Holy Ghost is Almighty. So this, this one God is in three persons. And so he is holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. That's what he said of himself in Revelation 1. I hope you remember that. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks, so they give glory, they give honor, they give thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worshiped him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. This is so important, guys. Who is this one that they're, that they're ascribing to? And you must notice his position. His position is he is sitting upon the throne. They are ascribing this at this moment to the Father, to God the Father, who is the creator of all things. He sits upon the throne. He is almighty. He is worthy. And so I want you to understand that. The one who created all things is holy, almighty, which was and is and is to come, who lives forever and ever, who's worthy to receive glory, honor, and power, who sits on the throne, who receives worship in heaven and lives forever and ever and ever. It is inseparable that it speaks of the Father and it speaks of the Son. He is confessed by the heavenly host as being worthy as being Lord. He receives glory, he receives honor and power because he is the creator of all things. That's Revelation 4, 8 through 11. That, that's just, just the simplicity. All it is, simplicity. I wouldn't name anybody right now. I'd just say Revelation 4, 8 is God. I'd just say that. That's fine. Revelation 4, 8 through 11, the one that they're singing to and worshiping is the creator who's God. Well, Revelation chapter 5 begins to reveal more of this Godhead and this creator. And they tell us in Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, and when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And I want you to understand that the Lamb is in the midst of the throne. The Father is sitting upon the throne, and the Lamb, who is Jesus, 
is in the midst of the throne. Just read verses 1 through to that passage, and you will see in verse 6, lo, in the midst of the throne. He's not sitting, the Father's sitting, but the Lamb is there in the midst of it, and He comes forth from the presence of the throne. And he takes the book, verse 7, he takes the book from who? The one who sits upon the throne. Guys, you got to get it. It's so simple. It is so clear. And I know that you do. But there's somebody sitting on the throne, and that is the creator, right? Chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. Somebody's sitting on the throne, and he's the creator, and he's holy, and he's almighty, and he lives forever, and he's worthy of worship, and he's worthy of honor, and he's worthy of power, and all of that is ascribed to him, and he's sitting upon the throne. And now, in the midst of the throne, there is this lamb who appears, and this lamb that we know is Jesus, this lamb who appears, he approaches somebody on the throne. To those that are oneness in their theology, then it is absolutely ludicrous to insinuate that the lamb who is in the midst of the throne is approaching himself who's sitting on the throne. He's showing a distinction between two persons of this Godhead. The father sits on the throne and the lamb is there in the midst of the throne. He approaches the one who sits on the throne and he takes the book from him and he begins to open the seals. This is the right of redeeming creation. That's what he is opening. And so we pick up Back in verse 8, they fall down before the Lamb, the 24 elders. They fall down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden boughs full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, now they're singing to the Lamb. They're singing to the one who took the book. They're not singing to the one who sits on the throne. And what they sing to him is this, thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and has made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders. And the number was 10,000 times 10,000. And they were saying with a loud voice, listen, angels are saying this. The redeemed are saying this. The citizens of heaven are saying this. They're giving worship to the lamb. This is significant. And I heard them round about the throne. All these people saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Now, you notice what he's worthy to receive. This is ascribed to the Creator. Chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. This is only worthy of the Creator. Therefore, if they're going to give this to Jesus, which can only be given to the Creator, and it was given to the Father who sits on the throne, now they're giving it to the Lamb in the midst of the throne, then God must be three but one. Three but one. And this is what they ascribe to him. Riches, power, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power. This is so important. Stay with me. And power be unto him that sits upon the throne 
and, because there's another, and unto the Lamb forever and ever. They're not ascribing a lesser glory or a lesser honor or a lesser blessing or a lesser power to the Lamb than they do to the one upon the throne. They ascribe the exact same blessing and honor and power and glory to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Why? They're one. They're one. They're one. They must be. If they were not, God who sits on that throne would stop it. He would stop it. He, would, he will not allow anything less than himself to be worshipped, especially in heaven. Never. And so they ascribe this to, to the one who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Verse 14, very important. And the four beasts said amen, and the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Very, very important. And so I hope you see that you understand that there is this distinction between them, but both of them are involved in creation. There is one that sits on the throne and a lamb who approaches him and takes a book from him. There are the citizens of heaven which see the two and they ascribe all of this to the one who sits on the throne and they ascribe all of this to the lamb and they fall before the one who lives forever and ever and they worship him. This is absolutely significant to understand the Creator and the distinction of the Creator. And so I pray that you see it. Compare it. Revelation 4, 8 through 11. Revelation 5, 8 through 14. And what is ascribed to both of them. Now they worship Jesus. There's a passage in Revelation towards the end of it. We're going to study it in the weeks to come. But there's a passage in Revelation. I'm going to keep coming back to this over and over and over and again. And I know that you don't need a lot of this because you're already a Trinitarian believer. You see it so clearly. But I promise you, I said this before. I said, listen, oneness is growing. It is moving. It is fast. And I said that, and I forget who it was, but somebody said, well, I've never met one. I don't reckon I'll meet anyone soon. And it was like the next day, they're talking to somebody who was of a oneness theology. And so you're going to encounter this, and for you to be able to know, so you won't be tripped up. Listen, doctrine's important, and it's important that we know why we believe what we believe. Why do you believe God's a trinity? Mama told me. Well, so what? Why do you believe that? What does the Bible teach about that? And that's what we want to understand. And I want to remind you of this. God says, for thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. So what does he say? You shall worship no other God. Worship no other God. He says again in Exodus 20, thou shalt have no other gods before me. You shall not make unto you any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down yourself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord, thy God, am a jealous God. 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. You shall not bow down yourself to them nor serve them. In the presence of the Father who sits on the throne, the 24 elders fall before the Lamb and cry out His worthiness. In the very face of God, why does God the Father allow this? Because He knows God the Son is every bit of God He is. He is God. And there's a oneness there. As I was going to say a moment ago, and we'll get to it in the weeks to come, there is a portion in Revelation where John falls down before one of the beings in heaven because of their glory, and he falls down to begin to worship them, and they stop him. And they say, don't do this. Only God is to be worshiped. I'm your brother. That's all I am. I'm just your brother. Don't worship me. Worship Jesus. And so this is what they tell him. Jesus said in Matthew 4, all these things, or Satan said this to Jesus, all these things will I give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Now I want to remind you, God said in Isaiah 44, 24, how did he create? I created everything by first of all creating a few things who could help me create the rest of the thing. Never said that. I created everything alone and by myself. And here we find two persons in the Godhead in the book of Revelation who are ascribed the attributes of creator. They are both worshipped as creator. They are both exalted as creator. And therefore, not one disputes the other to his right to claim creation. Because it wasn't three different gods that created, it was one God. And we find in the book of Genesis, in Revelation, we certainly see the Father and the Son. But in the book of Genesis, where do you find the Holy Ghost? Moving upon the face of the deep. The Holy Ghost moving in that creation, producing everything that the Word spoke. So you see the Father, you see the Son, you see the Holy Ghost all at work in creation, which just simply means the Holy Ghost is creator as much as Jesus is and as much as the Father is. It would have never happened without all of them. And I just want you to understand that. I want you to see it. Back in Revelation chapter 1, You must understand, verse 18, I'm he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I'm alive forevermore and have the keys of death and of hell. And this is Jesus' statement. Well, listen to what Paul says about Jesus and creation. In Colossians chapter 1, everyone turn there and read this. In Colossians chapter 1, the apostle Paul, by the Holy Ghost, ascribes this to Jesus. Verse 15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. That's nothing to be wrestled over. It means the Father, the, 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 the one who projected it, the one who caused it. He is the beginning of every creature. For by Him, listen, by Him, by Jesus, because we know He's referring to Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God. By Him were all things created, that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him 
and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Well, who is this? This is the head of the body, the church, verse 18. Well, Ephesians chapter 1 tells us very clearly Jesus is the head of the body, and we are his body, and he is our head. So very clearly, the apostle Paul says, listen, Jesus is the creator. He is the means by which everything was made. He is the reason everything is here. It was made by him. It was made for him. Everything consists because of him. Without him was nothing made that is made. And in Isaiah 44, 24, he said, I made it all by myself and I made it alone. He says it twice. So Jesus must, Jesus clearly is the creator. He's, and, if, and if he's the creator, he's got to be God. And yet the father in Revelation 4, 8 through 11, in Revelation 5, 8 through the rest of that chapter, is also ascribed as creator. So there's obviously more than one person to the Godhead. I don't understand it. I just celebrate it. I just believe it. Because that's what the Bible says. And that's what it teaches me. And that's what I'm going to believe. Well, I don't only have the testimony of Paul, but I have the testimony of John again in his gospel. For John says in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So if he's with God, there has to be somebody else that's there, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jehovah Witnesses changed that. And they say the word was a God, a God. Well, then they have a problem with Isaiah when God says, there's no God before me and there'll never be a God formed after me. So why would he say that and then go form a God named Jesus? All right. So it's totally ludicrous. In the original, it says, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Without him was not anything made that was made. And if God made everything by himself and alone, then Jesus must be God, and the Father must be God, and the Holy Ghost must be God, and there must be a trinity. And that trinity must be worshipped as God. In the very face of God, as he sits upon his throne, this lamb, in the midst of the presence of God, in the midst of the throne, has the, has the saints of Old and New Testament times, the 24 elders, who have been redeemed by the lamb's blood, fall down in the presence of God, and they worship the lamb. And they ascribe honor to the lamb. And they ascribe power to the Lamb. And they ascribe glory to the Lamb. And they fall on their knees before the Lamb. And God the Father never stops it. And He's the one who said, You are not to worship any other God but me. And I'll guarantee you this, if Jesus is not God, God the Father would never have allowed that to happen. And Jesus, being who He is, would never allow anybody to worship Him if He were not God. Not only did the Father allow Jesus to be worshipped, but Jesus received the worship and did not stop him because he knows who he is. He is God. As the Lamb, it speaks of his office. And if you'll remember from our last teaching in Hebrews chapter 1 and 2, it says how he was made 
he was made a little lower than the angels. That's his incarnation. That's him taking on the role of sacrifice, high priest, and lamb of God. When he became the lamb of God, he took upon him the form of a servant. He took that upon him. He didn't stop being God, but he lowered himself and humbled himself to the form of a servant, even unto death. But God now has highly exalted him. And at his name, every knee bows and every tongue confesses that he's Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And so this is what God wants and is what God desires. Israel shall be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You shall not be ashamed nor confounded, world without end. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He has established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord. There is none else. Isaiah 45, 17 through 18. I am the Lord. There is none else. And if he, to his glory, has every knee in heaven, earth, and hell bow to the Lamb and confess him as Lord, then he must be Lord. And the Father must be Lord, and the Holy Ghost must be Lord, because they're three and they are one. Isn't it marvelous? Isn't it absolutely marvelous how God is so beyond anything we could think or imagine? There's nothing else beside God. And if it is the Creator that made everything, and that Creator is Almighty, and Jesus appears to John in Revelation chapter 1 and says, I am Alpha and I am Omega. I am the Almighty. Then he's saying, I'm God. There is no power greater than mine. And if he were not God, then he would say, you know, maybe I'm the first thing God made. And he's greater than me, but unto him I've got more power than anybody. He never said, I'm all powerful because I'm God. And he received the worship as God. And it's absolutely amazing, the establishment of Jesus. We're going to study in the things to come, Jesus being the Almighty. Who's the Almighty? Is the Almighty three persons that are one God. We're going to see it. We're going to go through it. I, I want you to have this. I want you to know this. I pray that you'll study this inside and out, that you will know it. There is a resurgence. There is a, there is a movement of oneness that is about us in this nation and in Europe. And I want you to know what you believe and why you believe it. Is it significant that you get this right? You better believe it is. You better believe it is. I'll just give you this again from John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that they might know you, the one true God, and Jesus whom he sent. Well, if, you, if, you're, if you're oneness, then you don't have an and. You just have one. You don't have the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. You don't have the three. You just have the one. You're in trouble. According to John 17, 3, you're in trouble. Because salvation, eternal life, depends on you knowing them both. And you knowing who they are. And if you don't know that Jesus is God, if you don't know that he is, he is the eternal living God become man, then you are denying the testimony of the Father in his Son, Jesus Christ.
And Paul said in Romans chapter 10, one of the conditions of salvation is you must believe that Jesus is God. You must believe He's the Lord. And you must believe with all of your heart that God raised Him from the dead. You must. And so it is very important that you know this is one of the most important things. I don't don't think there's anything that you could ever study that would be more advantageous than studying God. Nothing's more important than that. Everything you will ever embrace in your religion and in your theology will only be the shadow of your thoughts of God. And if your thoughts of God are not biblical thoughts, then you've created a God that is different than the God that is. And your theology will begin to reflect that. So whatever you're doing, study God. Study the Trinity. Study the nature of the Godhead. Study the attributes of God, who He is, what He's like, what He can do, why He does what He does. Study Him in all of His fullness and in all of His might and in all of His power. And when you study God, I'll tell you, your faith will begin to soar because you will see how absolutely awesome and capable He is. Father, I thank You so much for the revelation you've given us of, your, of yourself through your son Jesus. I thank you for the Holy Ghost who has come to give us that revelation, to help us see, to help us understand. And Lord, it is so clear and it is so simple. And I thank you that it's simple. I thank you that it doesn't have to be complicated. Father, I thank you that we can see very clearly that you are a triune being. And that by yourself and in yourself and out of yourself, all things that have been made have been made by you. You are Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And we worship you as Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And we give you glory. And we thank you and we receive you, Lord. And we receive your testimony, Lord. We receive the testimony of your Son, Jesus. That he is the eternal God who has become man and now serves as our high priest and is in the midst of your throne as the Lamb of God who has redeemed us from our sins by his blood. We worship you through the Son and the power of the Holy Ghost. We thank you, Father, for the revelation that Jesus has given us of you, of your greatness and your love and your compassions and your tender mercies of your holiness and your justice and your righteousness, that you're a God to be feared and a God to be respected, God to be honored. And we thank you for the Holy Ghost. Apart from him, we cannot know you. We cannot worship you. We cannot walk with you. We thank you for God, the Holy Ghost, our companion, our dearest friend, who sticks closer to us than a brother who loves us with an unfailing love and who desires our well-being to such a degree and thank you for doing it, Holy Ghost, that you pray for us with groanings that we cannot even utter in order that all things might work together for our good. You cease not to pray for our life. We thank you. We worship you. We're going to spend time worshiping God tonight. Coming before his presence, thanking him. Blessed are your eyes, for they see. 
your spiritual eyes that you see, that you get to see the truth, you get to know the truth. Blessed are you. You're a blessed people.